0: Our focus today is to re- remember Lot's life. And to help us do that, I'm going to ask that you would now turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. In this sermon, we'll be considering largely the first 14 verses of this chapter, and God willing, this evening, the second half Of this chapter. But now, Genesis 19, follow with me as I read verse 1 to 14. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he arose to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house "'and spend the night, and wash your feet. "'Then you may rise early and go on your way.' And they said, "'No, but we will spend the night in the open square.' But he insisted strongly." So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you. And you may do to them as you wish, only do nothing to these men." since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. And the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters? And whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place. For the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Genesis chapter 19 records one of the most horrific events in the history of humanity. We read Genesis 19 and maybe we draw back as we're repulsed by the Sodomites' uh, depraved behaviour. Perhaps we, we flinch at the vision of God's wrath poured out upon men. Whole cities and communities, entire families and farms are consumed in God's vengeance. These things repel us. And even Lot at times in this chapter is repulsive. We find ourselves shaking our heads at Lot's weakness and incompetence as a father. And yet there's something about Genesis 19 that draws us in. Sodom seems familiar. Perhaps in part because we can identify with it in increasing ways in our modern world. Even as we too live in Sodom. We live in a society, as you are aware, that is increasingly like this society we read of. And we are in the night before the coming judgment. It's like we're drawn to Lot because as we saw earlier he was a weak believer so easily influenced by the culture around him and to our shame we too identify with that. We too feel our Lot-like weakness. There is something about this dramatic chapter that we recognise as we live in Sodom and we too are way too often like Lot. Now in the Sunday school hour we saw how Lot allowed a pattern of compromise to develop in his life. One compromise leading to another placing him and his family on the slippery slope of spiritual decline. We saw Lot was rescued by Abram and Lot returns to Sodom. Now you would have thought that that experience alone would have been enough to be like a wake-up call to him, to realise that this is not where I should be living. But no, Lot capitulated. Maybe he was pressured by his wife or his children, but passive Lot settles down again in Sodom. And when we open chapter 19... Some 15 years have passed. And we find Lot having assimilated into sodomite society. Where is he? As the chapter starts, he's at the gate. His wife seems settled. His daughters are marrying. And and Lot's like a, a dim light that is flickering in a dark place. And yet, friends... We still must remember, as Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, that his soul is vexed by what is going on around him. But clearly that, that grief was never deep enough to move him out of what would have to be one of the most depraved cities in the history of humanity. For what other localised place on the planet has suffered such intense and visible judgement? Nevertheless, in Sodom, occasionally God's righteous light does flicker through the life of Lot. And we do actually get to see in the Genesis narrative what Peter shows us as we look closely. But overall, a pattern of compromise has placed Lot on a spiritual decline and in many ways it sets up the dramatic dilemma that we are going to see now in this first part of Genesis 19. I want to raise four things as we step our way through the first part of Genesis 19. And the four, thing, the four things that I'd like us to see will be these. The visiting feet, the calling voices, the saving hand, and the pleading word. And if you recognise, those headings highlight something of the drama, the action, Of this story. Because as this chapter unfolds, it is indeed filled with much action. As the story develops, the the drama accelerates. And it's almost like, as we, we read this story and try and picture it in our minds, that we are transported before this huge screen and we're watching this drama unfold. We find ourselves almost like we're on the edge of the seat as the next scene unfolds and the the next scene unfolds. And it all begins with what I'm calling the visiting feet. Look with me in your Bibles, please, at verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Clearly here, Moses identifies for us that these visiting feet were angels' feet. Two of the three mentioned in chapter 18 who visited Abram. Now, why had they come from heaven to visit that region? Well, we have the answer to that question Back in chapter 18, if we just go back into the previous chapter and read a couple of verses, it answers that question in verse 20, where it says in chapter 18, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether, according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abram stood still before the Lord. By the time they arrive in Sodom, it's already evening. We know from verse 1, Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom, the gate, was the usual place of of business or commercial activity. Also, perhaps the judicial councils within that culture, that society, took place in that location. That's where Lot is. And so in terms of a time frame, for some 18 years now, Lot has lived in this region. And by this time, he has risen, it seems, to some point of importance within that community. He has assimilated, we might say, into Sodom's life. And as soon as he sees these visitors arrive, he responds immediately. And Moses seems to be careful to show us that. As verse one goes on to say, when he saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground and said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly so they turned into him and entered his house. In those couple of verses, we see he, he greets them with respect. He, he offers them what would be the, the standard Eastern cultural practice of off, offering guests hospitality. But see his response when they suggest just staying in the open square. That's their suggestion at the end of verse 2. But notice how strong Lot's response is in verse 3. He insisted strong, strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Lot knew what that town was like. Lot knew what would happen if the men stayed overnight in the square And so when they suggest we will stay in the square, his clear response is, no, I will not take it any further. And so those visiting feet make their way into Lot's house. And there, very kindly, they receive this hospitality. And it does appear at this point that Lot has not twigged yet that these feet belong to angels, as will, of course, become evident. And the second half of verse 3, we're told something of the nature of his his provision. He says it made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. And here is Lot unwittingly entertaining angels, which is indeed a a commendable thing to do according to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 and so in the in this opening scene i suggest we get a we get a flicker a flicker of the light of god's righteousness shining through the life of lot but secondly as we move forward in the story consider with me now the calling voices the calling voices Continue with me as we step through the passage. Verse 4, now before they lay down and the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Picture the scene, friends. Outside the front door of Lot's house is this massive mob that have gathered. Did you hear Moses' repetition? He says men twice. Look back at verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom. We press pause just here in this drama. Moses wants us to understand who is outside the door men. He clarifies it further in that verse. He says, Old men, young men, men from all over the city, all the people. He says, from every quarter, every suburb, every block, every street. This seems to suggest that there was a very high percentage of the residents of Sodom who were homosexual. They wanted access to these visitors to abuse them. Such were the voices calling. And as Lot and his family, and these two guests are inside the house, the calling voices outside filtered in to them. You got the scene? Second half of verse 5. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. And what is clear is that this sin was not some secret thing. It's open. It's public. Do you remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2? Peter goes so far as to say that that daily Lot was tormented by what he saw and what he heard. When it comes to their transgressions, seeing and hearing their sin. Isaiah says in chapter 3 and verse 19, they declare their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. They were bold, they were brazen in their sinful pursuit. There's no shame in their voices that are filtering in to those who are inside the house. And brethren, we are living at a time when these voices are calling. The lobby's voice gets louder and louder. It gets bolder and more brazen by the day. They are aggressive in the promotion of their perversion and increasingly they have no shame in their depravity. Increasingly their voices are being heard in the nation's capital. Their moral agenda is more and more prominent in movies, in advertisement, even the sporting field now. Now in my country, I guess it's the same here. Political parties, big business... Local libraries, sporting clubs have opened the door and welcomed them in. Oh, we'll raise your flag. And what is it that you would like? Come on in. Sodom's public square has come to 21st century Western society. But friends, they are not content to stay outside. Their voices are calling outside the homes of the righteous. But they want access to our living rooms. They want access to our minds and to our hearts and to our morals. Their voices are calling out to our children Nothing has changed. We hit play again in the drama. What will Lot do? You see, as tensions rise with the calling voices outside, what now? Back in the passage, verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door Behind him. Now friends, quickly grab your remote, hit pause. There is another flash of righteousness, just there. Can you see, this is a commendable act of courage on Lot's part, that he would turn the handle and that he would go outside the door. Can you see this man standing on his porch determined to do what he knows is right? He goes to protect his guests. These men had come under his roof and it was his cultural duty to protect them. It was a righteous duty to protect them. And in order to do so, Lot actually puts himself in imminent danger. He actually puts himself between the mob and his guests. We hit play again. And you listen to what Lot says in verse 7. Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. And here, as Lot begins to talk, we perhaps might just cringe a little bit. We get the sense that his courage is compromised by his moral weakness. Please, my brethren. Now, in a general sense, we could say they're brethren because they're his neighbors. But, but could there even be a sense in which he's trying to appeal to them and say, look, I'm no real, really that much different to you. I'm one of you. My brethren, please. Lot seems to be trying the nice approach. But it just doesn't cut it. If they could just be convinced that I am one of their brethren, that I identify with them, that I'm one of you guys, if I can just be friendly enough and polite enough, that will win the day with them. How naive. Lot's sentimental approach of cultural relativism could never work. These guys had an agenda. And yet this sort of approach has been tried in our day, even by some modern evangelicals, to try to win the world. If only we can just be nice enough and friendly enough and identify with the culture and win the culture. Let's try and connect with them emotionally. Let's use music. That'll persuade them. Well, how has that gone? But again, friends, listen to Lot in verse 7. Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly, hit the pause again, just notice that last part, here at least Lot is naming their conduct wicked, he should be commended for that, he's not pandering to their rebellious lifestyle and giving in to it with just neutral, non-offensive terminology, he's not trying to manoeuvre around it by clever little spin words. This was proud rebellion against God. And it's why Romans chapter 1 is so helpful. Because Romans chapter 1, God speaking through Paul's pen, calls out this behaviour. Romans 1 says, Leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful. And so I suggest you at the end of verse 7 with our friend Lot, there's a flicker of righteousness seen in those words. But surely Lot's previous points of compromise are all about to crash down upon his head. Look at verse 8 now. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man, Please let me bring them out to you, that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. I'm a father. How on earth could this father even think such a thing? Let alone present it as a serious option. Has he been influenced by Sodom's values more than he even realised? He's in a great dilemma. Righteous Lot had made a number of unrighteous choices and it all had come to this. A dramatic dilemma. Dilemma. But this is one of his own making. You see, like us, we can bring upon ourselves so many of our own problems. Lot should have never been in that situation where he is advocating a gross sin to prevent another. And I think rightly, we are appalled by this. We are sickened by lot at this point. I mean, this is so gross, we can't even speak about it. But friends, if it wasn't for God's grace at work in us, this is who we would become. Here is a man of faith, yes, but weak faith he has not been living expecting god's intervention he he doesn't even seem to be factoring that into his mind as a possibility all he is doing is trying to negotiate and broker a deal he doesn't appear to be a man who has lived a pattern of doing what is right and then just leaving the results to God. Many years before this, Lot entered Sodom. And now it almost seems like Sodom has entered Lot. He got himself into this mess because he had tolerated the accumulating effect of of compromise in his life do not be deceived god is not mocked whatever a man sows he will reap may we learn the lesson that moses puts in front of us right here and avoid compromise may we be men and women of faith who by the grace of God live lives of principled obedience to the word of God. We sang it before, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And now thirdly, as we move forward in the story, Consider with me the saving hand, the saving hand. And verse 9 is where we are in the drama. And they said, stand back. Remember where Lot is, he's on the outside of the door. Stand back. And they said, "This, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Lot's proposal to them about his daughters appeared to have gone down like a lead balloon. They effectively respond to Lot and say, Stop! Judging us. See, they use that term judge. Seems to me that people usually say that when they know they are guilty. And see how they are treating him. He is pinned to his front door on the outside. They, it appears, are going to squash him to death on the outside of his front door. Their attitude toward him is made so very clear. So much for his so-called righteous influence. If he ever made it to the town council. His compromised faith His worldly ways have provided a very weak witness. These are Lot's neighbours. These are those that he's been living beside for years. These are his fellow citizens and they have no respect for him. This is a violent mob about to kill him. Who made you a judge over us anyway, pal? Now he's got a real dilemma. He's pinned to the door. I mean, just picture it. His ribs are popping. His eyes are bulging. How will it end? Verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. The saving hand. You see, ultimately, this was the mercy and compassion of God, rescuing Lot from his own foolish dilemma. And verse 11 is the further end of the story. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And the blindness here, it seems, is not the normal Hebrew word for blindness. It seems they are dazzled by a bright light. It's a temporary condition. It's perhaps a mental blindness. It's creating a sense of confusion. The end of verse 11 shows us that they wearied themselves in their pursuit of their sin. You see that expression right at the end of verse 11. They became weary trying to find God the door. Such was their commitment to their perversity. And not even a temporary judgment of God could persuade those men to give up on their carnal and their sinful lusts. They were so addicted to their own sinful passions, they chose rather to wear themselves out in the pursuit of it. Now, we're not told all here. But evidently, eventually, they leave the front door. And there's a sense in which, at this point, we get to breathe. (sighs) Thank God, Christian, for those times when God delivers us from our own folly. Those times when we have that ray of light of insight after the event and we... (sighs) ponder and consider the dilemma that we created ourselves due to our own poor choices, our worldly perspectives, rash decisions, our stubbornness. Maybe it's our passivity or our pride. And the Lord and his mercy reached down toward us as his people. I wonder how many of us would be dead already due to our own folly. But for the grace of God, the grace that God even showed Lot in preserving him. Praise God. He holds all his people in the powerful grip of his grace. His saving hand. Now, fourthly, as we come to the end of this section of the drama, the pleading word. The pleading word. The angels now turn to Lot and the angels give a task for Lot to do. This is verse 12 and 13. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. God's judgment was coming. You see, friends, long before God inscribed on tablets of stone his moral law at Sinai, as we read in Exodus 20, the book after this one, according to Romans 2, that law was inscribed on man's heart. In other words, these Sodomites, before the Ten Commandments and the law of God was given to Israel, these Sodomites had sinned against their conscience. And remember the previous chapter, Abram had prayed earlier for Sodom and he had said, the judge of the earth, what's he going to do? Will he not always do what is right? Moses says in verse 14, so Lot went out. You see, presumably now the coast is clear outside the front door. Lot goes with a pleading voice. And we read that in verse 14, what he said To his family, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Now, friends, again, I ask you, reach for your remote and hit pause. Don't we see righteous Lot again? Lot is willing to run the risk of danger as he ventures into Sodom's dark streets to get to his family. Lot clearly here, at least to this level, shows himself to truly be a believing man. That is, he believes the angel's announcements. He's not thinking well this is some fanciful idea of God's judgment falling on this place. And yet that is how many respond to the message that the day of judgment is coming. That's like some Some movie. It's some fanciful story. Just two weeks ago at home, I was preaching on the subject of eternity. And to my distress, there were young people who appeared to have written all over their faces. Yeah. Is that what you think? When you hear preachers speak about the day of judgment, that inside of you, you're going, yeah, right. Lot believed God's message. He believed the message that the Lord will destroy this city. And friends, there's almost, as we read this, there's almost a sense of urgency, is there not, in Lot's pleading voice. There's real pathos here. Lot truly believes what he is now preaching. He's pleading with his sons-in-laws. There in verse 14, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. This is the Hebrew word for laughter. Laughter. Lot is deadly serious. Lot is motivated by deep love. Lot loves those ones that he's speaking to, these unbelievers within his family. So he tells them the truth and he tells them in love, but they think it's just some big joke. They snicker. And maybe under their breath, they, they giggle at Lot's announcement of coming judgment. Here is God being so kind to these sons-in-laws. And through Lot, it's God really who's calling them. He's calling them to salvation. But these unbelievers rejected the message of life. And their blood was on their own heads. They had the opportunity to be saved, and they just laughed. They not only thought that what he said was a joke, but it's likely they thought Lot was a joke. You see, due to his compromise over the years, Perhaps it was that Lot had failed to gain moral leverage with their conscience. They didn't seem to respect him either. I mean, you can't take him seriously. His lifestyle, it would seem, perhaps, hadn't won their respect. Lot stood before them like he was some sort of clown. Like the clown in the theatre one day when fire broke out backstage and the clown came out to inform the audience of the danger and they thought it was a joke. They, They just laughed and they just applauded. And he repeated his warning in earnest and they just shouted and they laughed all the more. Many Christians in our day might dress up literally as clowns. Yes, in an earnest attempt, perhaps, to communicate God's serious truth. But how does the world respond? They just laugh. They, they, they just think it's a joke and, and no one believes the message of judgment anymore. Why? Well, because in many, in many ways, there, there's a lack of credibility with Christians and contemporary Christianity. Friends, we break off from the story at this point. We'll pick it up again, God willing, this evening. But understand where we are at in the narrative. It's night in Sodom. This is the night before the day of judgment. On Sodom. These in these very hours there is still hope of salvation. And that's why Lot comes with his pleading voice. And that's why He he operates effectively as a gospel preacher. Get up, he says, leave your sin. Get out of this place. Flee for the wrath to come. Now is the day of salvation. Now don't delay. And friends, I submit to you, this is when we are living. Can you understand that? We are living at this point in history. It is the night before judgment. And Jesus uses this scene to speak of his second coming, doesn't he? In Luke 17, 28, he says, As it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And we will see God willing tonight. Lot and his family must get out of Sodom before the sun rises. But here in this juncture in the story, in chapter 19 and verse 14, it is still night. That means it is still the time of grace. Yet within a few hours, wrath will fall. Do you sit here this morning and you are not ready for the day of judgment? My friend, now is the time of grace. We are living in the night before the judgment and the time is short. Your need is urgent. And so I plead with you in love, flee to Jesus Christ. Flee from the coming day of wrath that will soon fall upon you. Now is the day of salvation. And so seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But if you reject the message of salvation, my friend, you will have no excuse. That God calls you now is his great mercy. You don't deserve it. Right now, though, the door of mercy is wide open. And it's Christ, ultimately, who is calling you. Do not delay. Don't mock in your response. Judgment is truly coming. And so trust in Christ alone. Flee God's judgment that is imminent. Flee while you can. I urge you, come to him now. And you can ask him, as you sit right there, you can ask him in prayer to save you. There's not some thing you've got to do, not some religious act you've got to perform. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Lord, save me, a sinner through your son Jesus Christ. Brethren, I invite you all to come back later this afternoon to get the closing scene of this true story. Let's pray. We marvel, our God, that you are the one who is abounding in loving kindness, the God who is swift to mercy and slow to anger. And yet we also know that you are a God of justice and that your will will be done. Show your grace and your mercy, we plead. Oh, our God, we beg of you sweep through this place by your spirit and save those who are not ready for your judgment. Turn them to your son and away from themselves. And we who are saved, O God, make us wise that we might be righteous believers living where you have placed us, that we might indeed be faithful witnesses for the truth. Lord, that our words would carry weight And that, Lord, that we might even see many, many in our families, many in our neighbourhoods. Yes, many, Lord, even in this day of great ungodliness, coming to the foot of the cross and being ready for that great day. Bless your word to us and get all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.